Book 2, episode 92, Photo Off Topic. 92. 92. What's up, Brad? Not much yourself. I'm pretty good. I'm your host, Andrew. Brad is here. I am. Uh, we are quickly coming up on episode 100. Any thoughts on that? Should we do anything or just breeze right past it? I think we should retire. Quit while we're ahead? Quit while we're ahead. I mean, are we ahead? Probably not. Reti- retire champions <laughs> of our own podcast? Yes. Definitely. No other ma- no other metric to measure us against, just ourselves. Nope. Nope. And there goes my phone. Professional Brad. <laughs> I thought the ringer was off. So, uh, I guess we'll jump right into Project Car Updates, because that's what we've been doing lately, which is pretty cool. Yes, we have Radio Announcer Guy. That's right. We are going with the good voice. We've had voice. a bunch of Project Car Updates. Actually, both of us have. Mm-hmm. So, that's good. You started with a down date, though. It did, but it was uh, quickly wah, remedied. Wah. Uh, I took the Glant out for a ride last Friday night after driving it Thursday night after I had installed ECM Link. It was running great. I parked it in the garage. Um, what was running, what I thought was pretty great. There's it was been, running great. There's been improvements. So I was like, oh, I'm going to take it out for another ride because you got to do some logs and you got to set your mass airflow meter compensations and you have to go for like a long cruise. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, it's a cool night. Not a lot of traffic. I'm going to take it out. It had rained a lot earlier, so usually when that happens, I end up with a little bit of uh, water in the garage. So as I rolled the car out, there was a puddle of water in the ground. I didn't think much of it, and with a little tinge of coolant, so I should have known better, but I figured the car... But you also had just filled coolant in the car and probably figured maybe there was some residual drips. I knew I had some leaked coolant from earlier, and uh, yeah, so it... um, had no coolant in it apparently i had no idea i should have checked it before i left but why would you you checked it when you parked it yeah and i had just put the radiator in it so uh anyway i went uh around the block the car went immediately pretty hot it's a pretty big block around here yeah uh three mile block (laughs) yeah so i got to a point where i could walk to the house uh, and I called you and I was like, Hey, what are you up to? You want to come help me out? Friday night at quarter of 10. Yeah. So, uh, I didn't want to carry two gallons of water, like a mile and a half. So, um, uh, you came by, we go over to the car, start putting some water in the radiator. And it's just pouring out mm-hmm. right all over the ground. So I didn't know where the water went. I thought it'd come off the, that the upper radiator hose had leaked. So we noticed that the upper radiator hose had backed off like maybe a quarter of an inch, and we figured it was enough that it had seeped out. Yeah. But it was not. So I love spring clamps on my coolant hoses. Yeah, you're very um, pro spring clamp usually. Because when you use them on like a plastic tank radiator, they will expand and contract and keep that seal perfectly, but apparently you're not supposed to use them with a metal radiator. So they expanded enough with the metal radiator and they pushed themselves off. I'm wondering if more of the problem was they had been on your old radiator for so long, and possibly the neck on the new radiator was like a millimeter or two smaller. So Maybe. they had lost, they didn't have enough spring tension to hold. So when the car was cooling off and pressure was building. They were pretty tight. The top one was real tight. But the top one didn't leak. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's what happened. When it was cooling off Thursday night, it blew off. Completely blew the lower radiator hose off, yep. like 100% blew it off. Yep. So luckily, because they were spring clamps, I was able to pop them back on mm-hmm. and uh, filled it with coolant, well, water, 
and drove back to the house. And the next day I went and got some warm clamps begrudgingly and uh, filled it with more Welcome to the dark side. And bled it. And luckily nothing happened to the car. Uh, I do have ARP head studs and a metal head gasket. So it's basically built as a race engine that runs street levels of power. So it held up, luckily. Yes. Um, That's the second time it's gotten pretty hot, too. So it's pretty good that it did that. Yeah. Probably should be knocked now because now you have the OEM brass style radiator and OEM fan. Oh, yeah. When it was working Thursday night, the fan was coming on. The car was running wicked cool. It was was great. Wicked cool. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> local. Sorry to our non-New Englanders. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was, uh, yeah, I was running really well. Uh, but whatever. Um, Wicked. Yep. I did some more setup with ECM Link the other night. I set the idle. I set the cruise fuel trims. I did a couple of uh, wide open throttle pulls in Canada. I thought Mexico was where we supposed to go. Uh, Canada's closer. That's true. Um. I feel like Canada wouldn't wouldn't extradite though. <laughs> uh, not anymore. <laughs> uh, maybe not. <laughs> uh, I've been talking to uh, listener uh, Kevin. He's uh, ng Kev on uh, Instagram. I should double check that. It's correct. Yep. Yep. All right. That is his name. All right. He's got uh, a VR4 and a DSM, and he bought a first gen Montero slash Raider because one we, of us, one of we, us, because we talked about them so much. Yeah. Um, but we had been talking kind of casually about, uh, ECM link, uh, probably a couple months ago. And I remembered, I was like, oh yeah. So I like messaged him again and, uh, we started emailing. I sent him my logs and he gave me some well, advice he's an on OEM it. OEM powertrain engineer, is he not? I believe so. Yeah. 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 So he's really into this stuff. So, uh, he sent me a couple notes on it, made a couple adjustments we're going to try out and, uh, I'm going to go do some more logs and get back to him and. We're going to work on the car a little bit. It's kind of cool. You can work remotely with it because you just send him the logs mm-hmm. and he can open it in his program and, and see what happens. So that's pretty cool. Oh, you can open it in his copy of yeah. ECM Link? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind Which of I cool. still keep calling DSM Link. It's ECM Link now. Yeah. DSM Link is the old version. Yeah. ECM Link is the new version, which really, if you've got one of these cars, you, it's unnecessary now. Like you just. You might as well have it. Even if the car is mostly stock, yeah. it just makes it run so much better. Yeah, you can fine tune what the factory couldn't. Yeah, fine tune. The, the factory had to make a base setting that worked everywhere. Yeah, so you can fine tune that for you your find, atmosphere, your fuel, everything well, going on. In every your car. car is different. Yeah, especially as they get to be like thirty years, thirty-five old. years old. Yeah. They've all aged differently, so compensating for all that is real easy. Lithium link, so it's pretty cool. So that's what I have for project car updates. You also worked on the Montero. We already talked about that. When did we talk about that? Because you just did it this weekend. No, that was the weekend before. Was it really? Yeah. Oh, well, I did do the... No, it definitely was not. It was definitely this weekend. No, the same the... day you did the... The skid plates were last weekend. That's correct. But then you had an exhaust leak oh, this weekend. Right. Yeah, so and luckily... we fixed that, did we not? Yeah, luckily yeah, that see? was just a loose exhaust clamp. I went to get an inspection sticker because it's due to the end of the month. And the guy's like, well, it has kind of an exhaust leak. And I was like, all right, well, my sticker's still good to the end of the month, so let me take it. Don't take it off it. and put a rejection on yeah. it. I'll fix it first. Uh, so it clamped. I just needed to tighten the clamp. Yeah. Well, you had, you started it and we crawled underneath it and I just put a gloved hand on the end of the tailpipe. So it built up pressure in the system so you could hear it. Yeah. And then I tightened it up and you couldn't yep. hear anymore. So yeah, cause somebody at some point put an aftermarket, uh, catalytic converter in it. Yeah. And just kind of spliced the exhaust. Yep. Cut it. So it had a, I think you bolt. 
I did it when I was hot, so I think I'm going to do it when the truck is, the exhaust is cool mm -hmm. and really crank it down. So then when it gets hot, it gets even tighter. Tighter. Um, so that's cool. That was easy. I did do, I think I talked about this, the ignition switch. That seems to have solved my random. Yeah, we ignition. talked about the ignition switch and the CB radio, I think, last week. Yep. So uh, that's what you were thinking of when I was thinking of the exhaust. Uh, I popped my shutoff valve into the Fenwick of the WRX. And that did not fix my EVAP code. Next problem. Uh, I just I got a pony up and smoke test it. Do we know some? We must know somebody with this. Uh, we my dad does, so we're gonna okay. it. Yeah. So they're not they're not that uncommons. No. I'm just surprised we don't have one ourselves, other than they're expensive. Yeah. And the cheap ones are sketchy. So. Yeah. Well, that one you ordered was. We'll just put not great. It was like a cotton wick inside of a paint can with two exposed terminals that you fill with mineral oil. Basically, if your package had been subject to a random package check, you probably would have been put on a list. Yeah, it's real weird. It looked like a homemade bomb. It was not. Yeah, it, it was not. It was not pretty. <laughs> no, and real ones are like a thousand dollars. So yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I would be willing to try it because do it for the story. Yeah, if I lost an arm, I'm gonna. I should check the car after I reset it uh, if it hit readiness, like mm -hmm. before the light comes on again, and <laughs> try to get a sticker. But uh, you've only had the car for like six months. You might as well. Uh, it's coming up in a year. Oh, has been a year. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, yeah, I should lemon lot with Keith. <laughs> Ouch! Sorry, Keith. <laughs> no, no, you have no history of repair. <laughs> no, I don't. You did it all yourself. <laughs> uh, it could. And then, like, if I just go till January, then it doesn't even count anymore. <laughs> it's 15 years old in January. Oh, and in Massachusetts, 15 years yeah. is the rolling cutoff for emissions yeah. testing. That's funny. Yeah. So, whatever. Anyways, what did we do on your stuff? Um, I feel like we only worked on one of them, but we got a lot done on it. Because we were going to tuck the rear bumper on the Colt, but didn't get around to it because we were too busy doing Gallant, Montero, and NSU. We had an easy thing, but we picked the hardish thing instead. Figured if we had enough time afterwards, we would tuck the bumper, but obviously yeah. we did not. We had high hopes. We wanted to touch the radar brakes, but we didn't get to it. Right, because the NSU was a bigger project. So my 1971 NSU 1200C, which has been sitting since at least 2011. It does exist. It does exist, yes. Um, it's been parked in a garage. Most people have never seen it. Um, other than close friends that have been around since before 2011. Um, I think it actually got parked. The sticker was from 2011. But I th if I'm not mistaken, I think it got driven to get a sticker and driven back to the garage. I don't think it actually ever went anywhere that year. I think the current sticker is red and the new ones are red. So it came right back I around. I can just roll it. <laughs> write a number nine on it and be fine. Um, anyway, so kind of sat for a long time. Due to a couple of factors, one factor being I had a place to store it, and it wasn't, it was kind of out of sight, out of mind. Yep. And there were other things going on. Uh, it wasn't stored anywhere where I live or have other things stored, so it was just stored in a friend's garage, and it just sat there, and sat there, mm -hmm. and sat there, and got covered in sawdust from his falling apart roof, and sawdust from, I don't know if there were termites in the roof, but the car was covered in sawdust, and dust, and spiders, and it was pretty gross. And ants. Uh, not a ton of ants. There was ants all over it. That's from where it's parked now, though, because it's parked on that silty ground back there. We'll take care of that later. 
Um, anyway, car hadn't run in a very long time. Car did run when I parked it, but unfortunately, fuel these days doesn't last very long nope. while sitting. Um, the ethanol makes the fuel go bad pretty quickly, actually. So, car wouldn't start. I lost the storage space, long story short. Mm-hmm. Um, they're turning it into a woodworking shop. So they had to get the car that was being stored in there for no cost of anybody out of there because that's just fair in life. Mm-hmm. So I tried to get it running to drive it out of there. This is about a month ago. Couldn't get it out. Couldn't get it running. Got a turnover. Got it to run with spraying ether in it, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't stay running. Mm-hmm. So we towed it out of there, towed it back to my parents' house where it got parked in the driveway and covered and forgot about it for another month because after 10 years, what's well, another month? Mm-hmm. So we decided this weekend we're going to try to get it running because this coming weekend is German Car Day at the Lars Anderson Auto Museum in Brookline, Mass. Yep. I'm not sure I'm going to bring it there. No? Eh, well, I don't get tires yet. Anyway. Okay. Um, maybe. If I get real motivated tomorrow and work is not real busy, we'll see what happens. Um, I'm going to go anyways. I'm going regardless, but I might not have the car. All right. If I have the car, great. If I do have the car, you should bring something else anyway in case we need a ride home. <laughs> oh, I wasn't planning on relying on that car because we need have to get home for yes. dinner. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, gee, thanks. Yeah. Um, where was I going with this? Um, so we got the car off the hill where it was parked. We just rolled it down because yep. it was parked on a hill. That was nice and easy. And the brakes worked, so that's positive. I mean, worked is a relative term. They did stop the car before it hit anything. I did record this, so I am going to try to make it into an episode of In the Garage. Yes, our, so YouTube, our, our YouTube, YouTube episodes. Yes, yeah. go to YouTube page. Um, so our first decision, what, what did we decide to do first? Was it take the tank out? Yeah, we're going to take the tank out to drain the old gas out. Yeah. And uh, it wound up being a lot of work. Yeah, you can't get to the feed line to the carb. Correct. Because it's covered by this rusty plate. That's part of the suspension. Well, it's covered by a metal plate in the car, which has turned into a rusty plate. Yeah. Um, because the car has been a New England car its entire life, and it lived for the first, from 1971 till 2007 when I got it, it lived in Beverly on the ocean. So it's got some rust on a lot of fasteners and stuff. Nothing you can do about that, except fix it. Also has a lot of rust in the rocker panels, but that's a whole other story for a whole other day. It's an imperfect classic car. It's a very imperfect classic car. Should be a new website for those guys. Very imperfect classic yeah. cars. Um, so we couldn't get the plate off because it's held on with Phillips head screws, which have become, I don't know what, they're just ferrous oxide and nothing else. There's no metal left. Um, so they wouldn't come out, obviously. So we couldn't get the feed line at the bottom of the tank. And then my father made up a good point because my father was there with us this day. And he said, why don't you pull the line off the carb? (laughs) I believe I did that. You made the point? Yeah. Whatever. Somebody made the point. We're going to give credit to my dad anyway because it's Father's Day this weekend. All right. All right. So my father decided that why don't you just pull the fuel line off the carb and turn the car over and see if it pumps fuel. So I was like, yeah, that's a good idea because if it pumps fuel, obviously there's no clog in the line. Yep. So good job, Andrew and Dad, for making that idea. Yeah, I don't, know, I don't know anything about carbs, right? <laughs> Mostly Andrew. Actually, I have a picture of Andrew working on a carburetor just to prove that he had a carburetor's hand at one point in his life. So yeah, yeah. I can use that as blackmail in the future. <laughs> well, unless it's spaghetti. I only spaghetti? want carbs. Spaghetti doesn't have carbs. 
uh, no, like actual spaghetti. That's the only time I watch. I thought you were talking about spaghetti the rally. Yeah, I realized that after I said it, but yeah. no, I. All right, ZD. So, as- I, I am a huge fan of carbs and food. Yeah. Even bigger, even more so than carbs and carbs. I love bread. Which I'm also a fan of. Um, anyway, so we did that, and the thing was pumping fuel a mile and a half out the back of that hose. So that clearly wasn't the issue. Yeah. So we decided at that point we're not going to pull the tank, and we must have a problem in the carb. Because if the fuel pump is pumping fuel from the tank to the carb, and the carb is not getting fuel, then... There's something clogged in the carb. Mm-hmm. So we decided to pull the carb off the car, which is a single-barrel Solex. Um, real simple design. It's almost like a motorcycle-style carb. I think it's very similar to a Volkswagen. It's very similar to a Volkswagen. Like a Beetle carb. Yeah, it's very similar. In fact, I forget what number was on the side of it. Was it a 30? I see 34 or something, or a T, T4. There's 34, maybe a TI-34 or something. Yeah, I'll have to look it back up again. I don't remember. Um but when you look it up, it showed the same application for um, BMW 700. Mm-hmm. And BMW 700 was a rear-engine air-cooled, um, horizontally opposed two-cylinder. BMW motorcycle engine in a car. Okay. Um, anyway, and this is a rear-engine air-cooled four-cylinder. Not horizontally opposed, inline four, but it's actually derived from motorcycle engines as well. <laughs> So the similarities there. And there were some upgrade kits for Volkswagens that use this carb. So it would have been an upgrade for an early Volkswagen. Upgrade. Yes. The stock carb in the NSU and the BMW 700 would have been an upgrade, I think, in a Volkswagen. According to what I was looking at online real quick, I wasn't doing a ton of research. So Is 34 maybe, is that the millimeter, the millimeter diameter of the than, bore? More than likely. That makes that looked like about 34 millimeters. Yeah, All right. more than likely that's what that meant. Single jet. Yep, it was single barrel, single jet, normal, simple, nothing special carburetor. Sure. Um, works on air, fuel, and magic, as Andrew likes to say. Mm-hmm. So we took it off the car. Um, and just we're going to take it apart and then said, you know what? There's a lot of little parts in this. Let's see if we can clean it first before we take it apart. And Carb rebuild in a can. I was fairly encouraged looking online that they're a fairly common part because yeah. they're used in other vehicles. Yeah. So worst case scenario, if I had to buy one, it was like $63. It wasn't a lot of money. So we used carb cleaner, and yep. we just sprayed it in every hole that was on the carb. Mm-hmm. Anything that looked like it was a hole or should be a hole, because a couple of them weren't really open when we started spraying them. Stuff came out. Yeah. As we first started spraying through the carb, it was coming out brown. Yeah. And then eventually you'd see just the clear carb cleaner coming out. So we did that for probably 45 minutes or so, just cleaning out that carb. It was interesting because working the throttle plate back and forth, and then all of a sudden, as we were spraying stuff, working back and forth, you could suddenly hear like a little bit of suction. Because mm-hmm. the vacuum you... being pulled from the bowl into the carb. Yeah. So that was good. So it was encouraging that there was something going on in there mm. that wasn't when we started because all of the passages and you know things were covered with. Yeah, the fuel just dries up. Gummed up fuel. It turns to gum. Well, like a just a thick residue or whatever. Yeah, it's just gross. Brown, sticky grossness. Yeah. Old fuel. So we did that for a while, got it to the point where every place we sprayed was clear fluid coming out, mm-hmm. and decided that now it was the time to put it back in the car. Yep. So we put it back in the car. Um, we had to make an excursion to get fresh gas. Well, we tried it, and it did start to turn over. Yep. And then we went to get fresh gas. Oh, yeah. We tried starting it, and I could have it running if I pumped the throttle. 
Yeah. So I was pumping extra fuel into it. It would stay idling, but not running very well. Yeah. And the second I came off throttle, it would die. And I was like, we should get press gas. We or press did gas. steady throttle, it would die. Yeah. So obviously the fuel that was in there was just no longer fuel. It was just a foul-spelling liquid. Mm-hmm. So we decided to get fresh gas. Now we get back to the same conundrum of how do we get the old fuel out of the tank because we're not going to pull the tank. Yeah. So we bought a like a siphon pump from Pep Boys. Yeah. Just like a... If you were using this to steal gas, you would be caught. Oh, 100%. It took it, forever. Yeah. Now, the trick we did learn, however, is that you lower need than the to have the pump ball for the suction lower than the fuel tank. Yeah. Or else it's not going to work. Oh. And at this point, we'd come back... Uh, oh, the small gas can spilt in the back of the Montero. Yep. Yeah, so that stunk like gas the rest of the day. Sorry, Andy. But... Um, Dan Downey was on his way by, former guest, mm-hmm. uh, down at Dirty Racing. Uh, so he swung by. Racing. And, uh, yeah, racing. Do it for Dale. And uh, he hung out for a little bit, gave a little uh, heckling and encouragement. Yes, and he's a German car fan, so yeah. we figured maybe he would uh, help out. So I think he'll also be going to German car this weekend. Yeah. With an E30 convertible, he said. So, so put fresh gas in it, and... Then what happened? Um, nothing at first. We still had the same problem where we would get it running, and I'd have to feather the throttle in order to keep it running. Any steady throttle, any steady throttle pressure, it would die. Off throttle, it would die. Um, the car has a mechanical choke. You have to move it by hand. It's got a lever inside the car. Uh-huh. So I was opening and closing the choke and trying in different positions to see how I could get it to run, uh, and it didn't run on any of them. <laughs> so it turns out that after a little more... Um, research, we realized that when we had taken the car out, the cable that operates that choke was in a different position. So we had to move that. It wasn't quite tight enough, bit. so it wasn't yeah. moving in the right. It wasn't moving enough. Yeah. It wasn't fully closed and fully open. Yeah. So once we had the choke fully open and the car was pretty warm from our feathering the throttle exercise, the car started up and actually kind of idled. Yeah. We only had to adjust the idle a little bit. Yeah, and then once enough of that old fuel finished its way through the system, I mean, the car actually ran pretty good. Yeah, threw a little seafoam in there. Yep. And uh, I probably threw a little in the first fill-up as well. Yeah, and then you drove it down the street. I did. The car's registered and insured, so. And it worked. Took it for a ride around the block, and it worked mostly. Uh, I have a couple of minor little problems that will need to get addressed before... Car has driven much of a distance. Yeah, well, you need new tires because they're like so a thousand years old. When I parked the car back in 2011, the tires were quite sketchy. Yeah, probably shouldn't have been driving on them then. Yeah. So fast forward to 2018, and I definitely should not go very far. These they're tires. easily 40 year old tires. Yes, easily. Well, they're Sears weather handlers. Yeah, <laughs> I can't even tell you when the last time they made those was. And um, they're 13s, so. They are 155, 80, 13s. Yeah. So they are basically donuts. Um, they're the mm-hmm. same width as a temporary spare in a modern car. Mm-hmm. So um, I did look them up, which it's ridiculous. They're $31 each. So they're not expensive, yeah. <laughs> obviously. Um, they're hard to get that size? Everybody has them. It's like a common 13-inch size. What brand tire is it? Oh, I don't remember. I think one was like a Wild Peak or something. <laughs> Wild Peak? Yeah, like like off road tire. Uh, you would think. Are it you was sure that, they're not for like an ATV? No, ATV tires are much wider. Trust me, I looked. 
Um, yeah, I don't remember. Excuse what me. Do you have tire brand tires? Yes, that's exactly what I want. Are they round and sort of hold air and are made of rubber? And I have the tire for you. So they were Onan Kang. Oh, all right. Okay. Milestar, Westlake, and National XT 4000. That's the only one I don't know what that is. I know what Nankangs are, Westlakes. I mean, those are Chinese brands. I mean, yeah. in that size, they will work perfectly fine. There's also trailer tires in that size. It's common trailer tire size. Mm-hmm. So I can get load clap, road rage C bias ply trailer tires. Bias plies. But they slide act- around a little bit. Well, they do look like the correct, like the correct tread pattern from the days. So. Slip and grip. And- uh, West Lakes, I'll probably go with because they are twenty eight dollars and ninety seven cents with free shipping from Discount Tire Direct. <laughs> do they just do they put them in a box? Like <laughs> more than likely. Them? Oh, they also have Achilles tires. Ooh, Iron Man you can GRs. Go drifting. Oh, they got Kumo Solus in that size. But they're fifty four dollars each. So get some uh, get some Toyo triple R eights. It is quite a bit of tires here. There's another car one here I'd never heard of, but I do like the name. It's a Douglas. Douglas. I nice. should put Douglas tires Doug- on my car. Douglas is a nice strong name. It's a good tire. Douglas tires. Um, well, actually, the further you go through it, there are a lot of name brands that make that size too. There's Toyos and Continentals. Ooh, Conti's. Okay, so... Conti's would be OEM. So, they actually, the spare tire is an OEM tire, and it is a Continental, so... Um, and it's from 1971. Do you want to take a guess? So, if a Westlake is $30, yeah. what are the Continental Conti Pro Contact in the same size? Conti Pro Contact that's in 13s? That's what it says. Uh, it's not. It's an all-season tire. It's not like a race tire. It's got to be 80 bucks. 85 Yeah. Yeah. Or if it's even the right size. It doesn't show the size. Anyway. Well. Uh, I could go lowrider wide whites, too. Ooh. Because they make those in that size. What those you should do. $25 each. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, you should definitely put new tires on it. You should definitely flush, 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 should definitely flush the hydraulic system. So that's the that's why the car got parked. Yeah. Um. Car needs rear wheel cylinders. Yes, they work. It's not dangerous, but you have to maintain the levels. So you know, every you know five hundred miles, oh, you so have to it's put brake fluid flush. in. Yeah, it's totally flush. It's fine. Um, and I have to buy brake cylinders, brake wheel cylinders from Germany. And for some reason at the time, I just wasn't flush with cash and couldn't pay for the, all the brake parts and shipping from Germany because it was going to be like five or $600 for everything. Um, I've since learned that I can actually get the shoes relined and I could probably get the drums resurfaced. Mm-hmm. So I could probably get away with just replacing lines and wheel cylinders. Relining those tiny shoes is probably comically cheap. Yes. Um, so I'll do that. So the we should find a place that will reline shoes still in 2018. <laughs> yeah, somebody must. Um, anyway, so the reason I didn't just have the wheel cylinders rebuilt back then was because one side is a 19 millimeter and one side is a 17 millimeter. Oh, weird. Yeah, or seven millimeter, nine millimeter, or whatever it is. Because I have to assume that at some point pre-internet, the car needed a wheel cylinder. 
and whoever was working on the car just went with whatever they could get. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to go through the effort to fix the car, I need to make the car correct with a matching set of wheel cylinders. So I need to purchase new wheel cylinders, which don't exist in the United States of America for that car. So I have to buy them from Germany. You can get rear brake hoses really cheap. All the rubber parts are standard parts. There's a lot of stuff that's standard parts. Oil filters are shared with, like, a Mercedes 190 SL. (laughs) Pads come up. Front pads I can buy. Yeah. Yeah. Get EBC yellow stuff. Not going to happen. It would overpower my Westlake tires. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so I haven't bought the stuff from Germany. I will buy the stuff from Germany. We will do a full four-wheel brake job on the car with an alignment and make sure the car is up to snuff and can go long distances without issue. So... Because at the moment, long distances are kind Long of distances issue. at slow speeds. It's never been a fast car. Never will be a fast car. Never will be a fast car. They did make fast SUVs. This yeah. is not one of them. No. So, little known fact for those who don't know what an NSU is. Um, the Audi TT was actually named after the NSU TT. Because what did NSU become in most of the world? Audi. Audi. Yeah. And when the Audi TT sports car came out, it was built in the old NSU factory in Neckersholm, Germany. So the race car NSUs were called TTs, so they named the Audi TT in um, homage to the NSU TT and its racing history and its pre-Audi history. So actually the VIN tag in my NSU says Audi NSU uh, Auto Union Neckersholm, Germany. Hmm. So, and then a lot of the parts say made in West Germany <laughs> because of the time there were two Germanys. Yep. So, but yeah, so it's interesting history of NSU. Um, NSU went out in 1971 in the United States. So my car is the last year they were sold. Um, it may even be my car was the last one sold new in the States because it was a leftover in the back of an import car dealership in New Jersey. Until 1973. So it may be the last NSU sold new in the States. Yeah, and he Maybe. probably got it for a steal. Uh, I'm sure he got it for a steal. I'm sure if he bought it brand new when it first came out, he would have got it for a steal because it was an NSU in the Northeast. And he was there weren't many of them around. Yeah. Even in a period, there weren't many around. Nope. So I wish there were because they're cool. But I've never seen another one in person. Um, I have never seen another one in person either. And I've gone to a lot of weird import car shows. So it's definitely strange. Mm-hmm. They pop up now and again on eBay or Craigslist. Didn't, like, and... didn't you go to like an air-cooled show and they were like, I don't know where to put you? Well, I went to a Volkswagen Corvair show it's called Volkswagen. <laughs> um, and I knew I was kind of pushing the boundaries because I don't have a Volkswagen or a Corvair. It looks like a Corvair. And a Volkswagen. And a Volkswagen. Yeah. And it's air-cooled and rear engine. So you're in the theme. I was in the theme. Um, I would have been cool parking in the outside of the parking lot. I didn't really care. I just wanted to go, you know, check it out. Um, but they decided, because of the Audi connection, that I should park with the Type 3s, which are like the square-back, notch-back, and fast-back Volkswagens. Yeah. Um, and then I parked over there, and they got real angry. Like, the owners of those cars didn't want me parked there. I don't know why. I don't think they're, like, trying to steal their trophies, you know? I'm just here for the $5 trophy, ma'am. Where can I park? So they made me move over to kit cars. So I was parked with, like, dune buggies and 356 kits. 
Yeah, I guess. But whatever. It didn't matter. It didn't mean anything else. I didn't really care. I wasn't there for a trophy. I wasn't there for anything other than to enjoy the day and, you know, show my little NSU to people who don't know what it is. So, anyway. Yeah, I've been a couple of... There's been some weird situations at shows where people don't know what to do with me. I mean, just trying to register the car when I bought it was hard. Yeah. Because they didn't know... It took three days... They didn't know what to charge me for sales tax. That was the first hang-up because the car didn't exist in any of their books. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had to call the registrar. Thought you were pulling a fast one. Yeah, apparently. I'm making this thing up. So they couldn't find out, couldn't find out what it was. They didn't know what to classify it as, even though the car has been in Massachusetts its entire life. Mm-hmm. And, and I presented them with a Massachusetts title from the original owner in 1971. They still didn't know how to do it because yeah. the car was not on the database. Um, they had to talk, like I said, to the registrar to decide what to classify it as and what to charge me as far as sales tax goes. And eventually they settled on a figure of paying sales tax on the value of $1,000. So it was like 60 bucks. Yep. Um, so I did, actually the time was probably 5%. So it was probably 50 bucks or whatever. So I paid my sales tax. Um. Then I went back the two days later after it was all straightened out to get my plates. And I was getting an antique plate for the car. Yeah. Because the car is older than 25 years old or 19, whatever the rule is in mass. And they handed me this tiny little license plate. I was like, what is this? And I'm like, oh, it's an antique plate. And I was like, no, this is a motorcycle plate. And she goes, yeah, for your NSU 1200, right? And I said, yes. She goes, okay, so I was like, it's a car. She goes, no, it's a 1200. I was like, yeah, that's the model. It's a car. What? So then they had to go back and restart everything because they finally figured out what to charge me, and they assumed it was a motorcycle yeah. because it was called a 1200. Even though the title says, like, how many passengers? And four passengers. It's yeah. a four-passenger, four-wheel motorcycle. Yeah. So, but because it was called a 1200, they assumed because the only thing you hear you know, the CC call-out of in the model name is a motorcycle, like a Suzuki Boulevard 1300 or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it was just a nightmare getting that car registered. Everything about that car has been a challenge, but it's worth it because it's weird. So. Well, it's like sometimes uh, cars didn't exist before the 17-digit VIN. Yeah. Well, we have a friend who listens to the podcast had a hard time getting his car inspected the other day because he's an imported car that's post-1980. But it doesn't have a 17-digit VIN. It's older than 25 years, so it's legal to have here. Correct. Legal to re- It's registered. Yep. <laughs> and a couple of inspection stations turned him away because he didn't have a 17-digit VIN because it was an imported car from Japan. Yeah. So, but then we have other friends that have the same thing, and they don't have any issue at all. So, No, the inspection process in this state is weird. Mm-hmm. It's too much subjectivity. Well, the new thing this year, which I learned when I got my NSU, sorry, the Colt, a sticker, yeah. was they have a new system this year. Yeah. They require them to take photographs of the mileage and then all four corners. Yeah, so what do they do when you have a, what, five-digit odometer? So that's the problem is they put my Colt in. They have to put what the picture shows. So the Colt has a five-digit odometer, so it shows like 7,000 miles. And last year it showed 104,000 miles. And so it threw up a red flag that my car had an odometer rollback because they had to put in... 7,000 miles instead of 107,000 miles. Because last year they put in 104, 103, whatever it was, 1,000 miles. So, how did you know? It's going to cause me a problem. Oh, yeah, on. that made sense because the car. 
Yeah, that age at the car should have had 104,000 miles on it. Well, I have history of the car. I have history from California yeah. going back to 1978, showing that the car has 100. You know, when I bought yeah, the car, yeah, it had 102,000 yeah. miles on it or whatever. Yeah. It was obvious that it was 102,000 miles. It wasn't 202,000 miles, so. Or 402,000 miles. It, <laughs> you would think that the software that somebody programming the software, whoever. Well, whoever did this was not car people. They didn't no. have the foresight to say that a certain at a certain year, you're allowed to have certain circumstances where it can have less than a 17-digit VIN. Correct. It can have less than... Because cars up to like the 90s had five-digit Odos, right? Mm-hmm. Some of them did. I mean, a lot of them in the 80s A lot of American changed. cars did till, yeah. up till the early yeah. 90s. They weren't expected to last past 100,000 miles. Yeah. <laughs> These days, the quarter million mile cars are fairly new. Yeah. So. But whatever. It is it is what it is. And I have a sticker, so I just hope it doesn't cause a problem titling later on down the road. Like, it goes from being a true mileage car to a total mileage unknown car. Because that would bother me. Yeah, it would. But I don't think they talked to It the... wouldn't matter because you have the records that show it. Yeah, but it would still matter to some chucklehead trying to buy the car who would argue the point because that's what people do. Well, if you tell me that you want to run the Carfax, I can tell you to go pound sand because I really don't give a shit about that. Right. On an old car. Well, we have a friend right now who's trying to sell his BMW. Yeah. Um, and it's the 2000, 2000 BMW. And it shows a minor accident in like 2001 yeah. or 2002. So the car was brand new. The car was fairly new. Yeah. It's minor, no airbags. And the seller, the buyer is like, well... The car was have, brand new at the time. It doesn't have a clean Carfax. He's like, I'll offer you $2,000 less than you want for the car. And our friend is like, uh, no. Sorry. <laughs> like, I'll, somebody else will buy it's it. It's got a perfectly clean Carfax from 2002 on. And obviously, if the car was fixed properly in 2002 and no issues have come up in the past 16 years, I think we're going to be okay. And the car is not devalued because of that. I literally, Sorry. If I'm selling an old car and you try to do the Carfax, I would literally tell you to go... Yeah. For yourself, like get out of here. Well, that's what happened. I, I won't sell it to you. That's what happened when I sold my my Starion. Remember my Conquest? Yeah. <laughs> the guy came. He flew from Chicago before talking to you about this to Boston with cash in hand to buy my car. Yeah, and he goes, "Well, I see that it had an accident in 1991. Yeah, so I'm prepared to offer you a little less money now." And I was like, "Well, we came to an agreed price before you got on an airplane with a one way ticket to Boston, so you can buy it for that price." Or you can buy a plane ticket home yeah. and a, or a train ticket or whatever you want because we've already cut an agreed figure and the Carfax does not matter at this point. I do not like Carfax in old cars. It does not make sense. I refuse to accept it on yeah. old cars. If you, I'll, I'll, literally, I'll just sell it to someone else. I literally yeah. do not need to sell it to you. Yeah. No, it's not <laughs> worth it. Unless there's some weird history on the car. Like it's been told four times. And, yeah. But regardless, it's, if, the car, if the car is 30 or 40 years old and it's still running and driving – Perfectly fine, and it looks nice, and there's no obvious issues with it. If I'm selling a car, you're welcome to inspect it. Mm-hmm. I, I have nothing to hide, but yep. <laughs> if you try to bargain with me over a Carfax, yep. no, sorry. Not going to happen. <laughs> and that's what this guy had. He had, he, he had. he had no leg to stand on because he flew from Chicago to Boston to buy the car and then tried to change the price of the car based on a yeah. phantom Carfax report that I had never run on the car because why would I run a Carfax on a 1987 Mitsubishi? I wouldn't do it. The car still exists, runs and drives. It's nice and straight. The frame rails were straight. There was no sign of accident damage. So if it was wrecked, it got fixed real well. You can look at a car on a car from the late 80s all the way to the 90s, and you can mm-hmm. look for VIN tags. 
Mm-hmm. If you really want to do it. If it had a real bad wreck and a lot of parts were replaced, absolutely. Yeah. But obviously the car didn't have that bad of a wreck. Like it wasn't that bad. No. <laughs> the car was a real nice yeah. car. Stupid. And, and then and then he took a bad mouth me out of the forums about it. Yeah. So whatever. He bought a car, he drove it home sixteen hundred miles without incident. I saw a super clean one so, posted today that's yeah, out in that's Western Mass. Real local too. Mm. It's big money. It's good. It's the correct. It, it's correct it is price the correct money because I saw the picture under the hood and I was like, "Oh, that is really yeah, clean. That guy's really nice." So, it's good. It's good to see them appreciating mm-hmm. four nice ones. Well, our friend that is selling the BMW sold his for a good chunk of change too. So, yeah, and that was a very nice car. Yeah, so. they are. They are the, the clean ones are drawing the money. Yeah, crap cans are still cheap, so mm-hmm. we'll still continue to own the crappy ones. <laughs> yeah. But, no, but you used to be able to buy a nice, a decent car for twenty five hundred bucks for a decent stallion. Those don't exist anymore. No, decent, a decent car is five or six grand. So that one today, sixty five hundred, is real nice. Mm-hmm. Is a deal. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ten feet. There's a lot of ten thousand dollar plus low mile cars out there of those. So, no, it's cool. Um, I think that about does it for tonight. Yeah, quick episode tonight. Just a few things to talk about there, and uh, nothing, no subject matter. We'll get back to that. We got one in the works. We do have one coming up. We do have a couple of guests in the works. That's right. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Off Topic on on Off Topic Podcast on Facebook, on Off Topic on Instagram. Uh, go check out Gearbox Magazine for my posts on there, and you can follow and me for all of Brian's other yep. posts. Yep. And you can follow me uh, at Race and Anger on Instagram. Uh, Brad, where can they follow you? And of course, they can follow me on Instagram at tsiss three five zero. All right. Sounds good. Keep cars analog and aim for the roses.